You're listening to the Better Health Podcast with April, a platform dedicated to coaching women in areas of health, lifestyle, and legacy by speaking with leading health and wealth experts and with the goal to inspire women to thrive in their lives today and in the future. Now, on to today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Better Health. Today, I am here with speaker, writer, and coach, Jen Whitmer, and we are diving into one of my favorite things ever, personality tests, specifically the Enneagram, and so it's going to be so much fun. Jen is a hoot. Welcome to the show, Jen. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I I agree. And knowing our personality types, our Enneagram numbers, this is going to be a good episode. (laughs) Fantastic. Buckle up, friends. (laughs) I love it. So to start us off, where are you from and what was your family and childhood like in regards to health? And maybe you want to tie it specifically to what you usually do. So like, you know, personality and like relationships, conflicts, um, mental health in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in, um, just outside of Kansas city. So right in the middle of the country. And, um, so Midwest town, except my dad is from an immigrant family and my mom is actually from the East coast. And so even though I grew up in the Midwest, I always had this idea that there is something a lot different about other people. Like I didn't quite, it just wasn't part of what was typical in the Midwest. And so And that showed up in my family in so many different ways, this really large, loud Italian Catholic immigrant family. And my mom coming from this quiet, like literally came over on the Mayflower, small family from New England and how things were just approached in every way you could imagine. It was just different and not that my, and um, so I learned from my parents how that two differences didn't necessarily mean that there was one normal. Like we could have different normals and they're okay. Um, And I watched my mom struggle kind of being an outsider a little bit in my dad's family and knowing that that um, was hard. And how do you figure out how to build relationships with people in that way? And so it was just a um, a really fun upbringing. I mean, I loved it, (laughs) but it taught me so much about um, what, what you need to do in order to build community with people. So I had this large family at the same time I was an only child until I was almost 16. So there is, you know, it was just such a different place. And that helped me kind of start to see the idea of other perspectives. I also, in my very large, loud Italian Catholic family, um, there was lots of loud and people having loud discussions. And the first time my husband showed up, even though we'd been, we'd known each other since we were five, but the first time he came to like family things as a boyfriend at 17, he was like, why is everybody fighting? I was like, nobody's fighting. What are you talking about? (laughs) So my, my tolerance level for discord was high just because in order to talk, you interrupted people. And so that also kind of impacted how I saw conflict, but what I, and so I always thought, oh, I'm really good at conflict like that. I'm fine with it. It, Like it doesn't make me frustrated or anything. Well, it turns out I'm just okay with interrupting and loud talking. I'm not so great with actual conflict. (laughs) And so I started my career in education, but then when I left education, I really started studying 
communication and culture and conflict resolution. And that's where I also reintroduced myself or got reintroduced to the Enneagram as like what's underneath all of that and starting to discover that I'm, I actually have some conflict skills, but I want to avoid it as much as I possibly can. And that started to change my own perspective. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a, an interesting perspective on my journey to where I got here, but that's where I grew up and how I, how that really impacted how I saw relationships mm-hmm. and, and specifically what I do around conflict resolution and, and leadership. That's so interesting. And it's funny you bring that up because I had a friend who she's Italian and she grew up in Chicago and her boyfriend, he's Irish. And so (laughs) he would come over for the family events and he was very quiet and he was just like, what the heck is going on? Like everyone is like mad at each other. And she's like, what are you talking about? No, we're not. That's just how we talk. And then she would go over to his and they were all very like much more cordial, much more quiet. And she's just like, do you guys even like do anything? Do you guys even talk? Like, what is this even? So it's just so funny the dynamics there. And not every Italian family is like that, but mine was. Yeah. And um, we joke that our, the first time Michael came, the first time we saw the wedding, the movie, I'm gonna start over. The first time we saw the movie, my big fat Greek wedding, my husband was like, yeah, that's what that felt like. <laughs> that's what that was like it's like awesome but nobody offered you a bunk cake and he's like no but there was lots of lasagna and that was okay oh, no, you're right. <laughs> so awesome I love it I love it so much so what ended up um causing you to pull the trigger to just really dive into the Enneagram and help others with the Enneagram and then also with what else you do and maybe you want to introduce um what you specifically work with when it comes to people Sure. So I think like you, I am a personality type junkie. I love that kind of stuff. I always love discovering not just more about me, but more about other people. And I think it comes from that idea that we were just talking about observing that people can be very different Mm. and still live together. And how does that work? And why are they different? And all of that piece of stuff. So when I was in college, um, I did a a leadership program and we used the Myers-Briggs and somebody else, our college chaplain had introduced the Enneagram and it was like these big old sinful words. And there was like on this purple sheet of paper that looked like it had been copied in 1920. And I was like, that's not cool. I don't want that. <laughs> and so I just left it alone. Bye. Um, yeah. Like, see ya. Okay. Um, I'm over here with these letters. They make sense to me. And so I used Myers-Briggs a lot in, um, in my early education career and as a faculty leader and used strength finders. And I just, I feel like they have such great purpose. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of a, a, basically a toxic work environment, I was reintroduced to the Enneagram and, and it started to make more sense then. And I was like, okay, I'm now willing to admit I'm afraid of some things. And the Enneagram is a lot about what we're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And so I started exploring that self-awareness and seeing how I had a role in what was going on, mm-hmm. but also that there were all kinds of other problems that it wasn't simple. It was complex. It was tangled. And so when I left education, what I started doing, like I said, I I studied communication, I studied culture and conflict resolution in the Enneagram. And what I really wanted to do was help people prevent that type of work environment or that type of family dynamic where it's so complex and it's so difficult because 
conflict is just a symptom of all these other issues that are happening. So if we can solve conflict, we can start to create peace. Peace just doesn't happen. We have to work at it. And peace has a lot to do with what's happening inside of me and what's happening inside of you. So if we can start to learn the inner world, which is the Enneagram work, and do this understanding of communication, then, then we have this great casserole that like is a whole meal. Like we can do all the work together. Um, because if I showed you Enneagram work and then just left it at that, it's like, Ooh, what a fun party trick. Yay. I mean, the meme game is strong with Enneagram stuff, but if we just left it there, it doesn't do us a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And if I give you all these communication skills, but you don't know what you're afraid of and you don't understand what you're motivated for, mm-hmm. that tool is just like trying to use a screwdriver to open a can. It doesn't, it's not the right tool. Mm-hmm. And so you got to have both together. And um, so that's what led me into mm-hmm. doing what I do now and really helping teams sort that out. And so working with workshops and teams of people and, and as a speaker and a trainer, but then also that one-on-one coaching and group coaching and helping people develop and hone their individual skills. And so I I like both pieces of that, seeing the team dynamic improve because everybody's working together and seeing that one individual make the transformations in their life to start living really confidently and intentionally and peacefully. Mm, Such good points, such good points. And for those that are like, okay, you guys love the Enneagram, but you haven't even shared what number you are. Just for some context, I'm a three, Jen is a seven. So therefore the two of us together, gregarious boisterous couple <laughs> when we're to, when we're hanging out <laughs> right and if you're out there going what is this word they keep saying <laughs> what is the enneagram so any what the enneagram is a personality framework um and it really shows us nine different ways of being in the world and it shows us these nine different core motivations that are really at the root and underneath all of our behaviors and our choices and all of the underneath side that can be really hard to see the Enneagram gives us like a mirror and a blind spot and lets us see that internal world that is hard to see and put language to. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love about the Enneagram. It's that framework to hang all the other stuff on. And I'm glad you bring all of that up because when I was introduced to it and I started diving into it more, I now look at the world, the people I meet and everything in a different lens, I see that each person is very different and very unique from the next and that, you know, their core motivations, their core fears, how they handle conflict is different to the other person. And, you know, yes, how we handle it can be maybe handled a little bit better um, than how it is. But like knowing that someone handles it differently than I do gives me a little perspective of the fact that like, it's okay if they're not going to handle it the same way I am, but rather than like trying to be on the same page with doing the same stuff, how can we like work the dynamics together in a way that complements each other? And that's been huge for me and understanding that each person is so different and how do I just work with that personality rather than like go against it and try to change someone. That's been a huge takeaway for me. Absolutely. Because there's so much compassion in the Enneagram. People can get really like wigged out when they start looking at the Enneagram because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't want you to see that about me. (laughs) Like that was the thing I've been trying to keep hidden, which is true. And the Enneagram is like, yes, but now you've dumped out your purse. Mm. Now you know what's inside. And now let's, you know, 
throw away the lint ball. We don't need that. And, oh, let's put the cap on the lipstick. That's a good one. Let's keep it. You know, like you start to discover, oh my gosh, I, I found $5. You know, I didn't even know this gift existed, you know? And so the Enneagram isn't judging those things. It's just letting you see what it is mm -hmm. and helping you get to your true essence and your best self. And then that builds self-compassion for you and then starts to build compassion for others. Just like you said, how can we, how can we use what we both have mm -hmm. to make something really great? Definitely. Definitely. So what are some of the key differences knowing that you did dive a lot into like the Myers-Briggs and the strength mm -hmm. finders, all those, what are some of the key differences? Um, because a lot of people are on board with the Myers-Briggs, but the Enneagram, they might not be, and that's mm -hmm. totally fine. But what are, what are some differences? Well, how can you utilize the Enneagram versus the Myers-Briggs? Yeah. So I love that question because I think they serve distinct purposes and they can be interrelated and connected. Um, so the way I like to describe it is, so like I said, when I was a faculty leader, we used Myers-Briggs and StrengthFinders a lot. I've done a little bit with DISC and Colby, but StrengthFinders and Myers-Briggs are the ones that I I have the most knowledge in and still use sometimes. So I do leadership training with a couple boards and they start with StrengthFinders because that's just where they are. Yes. So I think... The way I like to describe it is if you think about the Enneagram as your foundation, if you've got a triangle and I know it's a podcast, you have to close your eyes and listen, but pay attention if you're driving, um, you know, so like there's a, the foundation of that triangle is the Enneagram. It's why, what am I afraid of? What am I wanting? Why am I afraid of this thing? Why am I doing this? And then if you, if you know why you're doing it, if you're motivated to do something, you start to prefer something. Like, oh, I prefer it this way because it makes me comfortable. It makes me not afraid. It makes whatever it is that's solving that need of the base of the triangle of the why you start to prefer it. And that's Myers-Briggs land. It's all about preferences. It's about, do I prefer to be with people? Do I get my energy from being alone? Do I like to make decisions based on policies and logic? Do I like to make decisions based on what's best for people? Do I like to, um, do I need lots and lots of details to connect the dots or am I intuitive? And I, I see patterns and connections, you know, all of those things are Myers-Briggs preferences. And I can make decisions in both ways, but I prefer one over the other. Mm -hmm. And so if I, and it's because I have a root fear of something else. Mm -hmm. And so if I've got this root fear of not being taken care of or wanting to not be limited, I'm of course going to be a go with the flow person. That is going to be that perceiver preference in the Myers-Briggs. Of course I can, I can finish things. I can bring closure and I learn how to do that, but I prefer it the other way. And that's Myers-Briggs. And then if you prefer something, well, you, you tend to do it over and over again. Like that's what you do. And so if you do something over and over and over again, tons of, tons of research shows us what you repeat is what you get strong at. And so if I'm repeating something that's really good, it becomes a strength. Mm -hmm. And so that preferences can then become strengths. And so they're slightly different, but they build on one another. So that top of the triangle is almost like an iceberg. That's what we all see. We can see that. Okay. So if you've known me for a few minutes, you're going to be like, Jen talks a lot. She's kind of a communicator. I mean, that's in one of my top strengths. Yep. You're going to figure that out. And if you're around me, not very much longer, you're probably also going to figure out that I'm pretty positive. Mm -hmm. So positivity is one of my top strengths. Those are easy things to see. And sometimes they're hard to see in ourselves, but they're still above the surface. Mm -hmm. 
but they fall apart if we don't know why they exist. Mm -hmm. And that's the work of the Enneagram. And that's why I think it's the most powerful tool in creating real change and also showing how people grow over time. You're not like static in this one spot. The Enneagram has lots of room for movement and motion that um, when you're like firing on all cylinders and when you're kind of falling apart at the seams, (laughs) it shows you what you look like in all those different ways and spaces. And that's the other thing I really like about it. So it's showing you why, why you're doing what you're doing and how those other personality tools can fit in with that. hundred percent. So cool. How you tied them together and your strengths tie a lot to your Enneagram number. I'm a three. And so um, activator and really actually doing stuff and going at it right away without waiting is one of my strengths. And then positivity is as well. And that really ties together with um, who the three is. Mm-hmm. And so it's just neat to hear how each person is like, oh, that makes sense. And I, I have a seven friend as well. And um, on her strengths, it was a woo. And mm-hmm. It just makes sense because sevens, yep, there you go. There you go. Like they love to win people over in a fun, positive way and they're great communicators. And so it just all ties together. Yeah. The irony of the woo. So when, when April was talking, I raised my hand. Yes. Woo is one of my top five as well. Um, and I fought against it for a really long time. And my husband and I had an interesting discussion about it. Once I really learned the Enneagram and was going through my certification And I was talking about that. And I think it's one of the things that sevens don't realize about ourselves Mm. because we just, this is just how I present to the world. I don't know any different. Mm -hmm. And so the woo factor, I was like, it felt weird. I was like, what is that? That feels icky. And I didn't like it. And I really had a hard time accepting it until my husband and I kept having this conversation over and over again. And I started to see from his perspective, the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's like that with a lot of Enneagram work of, oh, this is how I, I operate all the time. And I always refer to glasses, you know, like if I've got yellow glasses on and I don't see that the world looks differently than you wearing blue glasses, we're going to run into some difference of opinions at best. And so I have to know that my glasses are a certain color. And so that was a helpful self-awareness tool for me as well. Mm. Um, That it, the why I'm doing this thing and how it presents to others Mm. is something I'm learning to connect and, Mm. and how to discover that and then what to do with it next. Mm, Totally. Have you found that, um, couples, people that are in a relationship or people that are working in maybe a team environment, do they tend to connect with either, you know, the number that they go to when they're in health or in unhealth? Does there always seem to be connection or like maybe one of their wings? Does, is that very common? So it's interesting. I always like to say this up front that any team and any marriage, any friendship, it can work. As long as everybody's trying to be healthy and make good choices, it doesn't matter your number. So there are some that are easier, quote unquote, it just means their problems are hidden. (laughs) It doesn't mean there aren't problems. So um, it just means that they're a little bit more hidden and they're not readily apparent on the surface. So I think a lot of things tend to happen. Um, I think there's a lot of commonalities in the Enneagram when it comes to chosen relationships. A lot of them are on lines or they are almost opposites. I see a lot of eights and fours together. I mean, a lot and a lot of twos and fives together. 
it's common. It's a really common pairing. Um, and they don't share any lines. So that it's just, that's a, um, so if you ever looked at the Enneagram symbol, there's a lot of lines on there. Those guys, those guys don't share any. Um, but when it comes to workplace environments where it's not a chosen pairing, you're kind of thrown in there together. Even if you're hiring, you don't hire for an Enneagram type, you know, so you're hiring in this space that, um, these different types can, can rub each other the wrong way if they're on the same line um, or if they share a wing, if they're not aware of it. That's where it's interesting because um, if you have a line that is shared, so like sevens and fives share a line. And that seems very opposite unless you're a seven or a five. Like it makes perfect sense when you're that person, um, but it's, they present very opposite. So if you are unaware that this seven, five pairing that looks really opposite um, actually shares a line, conflict can happen because of that lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're actually fighting around the same thing. We just didn't know that. And it seems opposite, but it's actually not. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that happens a lot in workplace environments. Um, and one of the fun things about the Enneagram is between the lines. So every Enneagram number shares a line with two different numbers. So that means there's three. And then you have the ones on either side of you. So that's five. So you have access to like five different numbers in some way, shape or form. And so usually there's a commonality somewhere that you can find some common ground. Like, oh, this is this shared skill or this shared desire can come out. Um, but again, I come back to, if you know, if you know, and it gives you language to talk about it. So I think that, does that answer your question? hundred percent. Totally. And I can totally see where it's like, you know, if you have a self-awareness and an awareness of the personality types in the group, you see the strengths of each one versus if you have no idea, no awareness at all, you could see someone that is, you know, maybe a five, a little quieter. And you just think, well, why the heck aren't they speaking up or this? Right. Or well, really they're observing, they're taking in all the information. If you ask them, they'll be able to spew you all kinds of knowledge paragraphs with yeah. footnotes as they're talking <laughs> exactly exactly and so it's like okay when I see someone like that I don't think right away oh wow like why wouldn't they speak up I think into that and having that awareness that's what the Enneagram brings it's so it's really really neat and how it can be used to really complement a team environment for sure and just curious what is your husband um, he's a two He's a two. So two and a seven. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> so yeah, we don't share any lines either. Um, but we do actually share a conflict coping style. So there's other groups within the Enneagram and two sevens and nines share a specific coping with disappointment style. Um, so we have that in common. <laughs> so like coping with, um, you know, problems and stuff like that. What are, what are some of the outlines of them? So you said that the two sevens and was it nines nines they yeah. share the theme. what about the other ones yeah so two sevens and nines I like to call the silver linings that conflict coping style is all about well at least you know and here's the good thing that can happen or here's how we can solve the problem because all of them are interested in getting out of the pain real fast um and so they go about it in very different ways and they look slightly different but that is this commonality of they can reframe or solve quickly to escape the pain and difficulty. Um, and what that group kind of needs to do is look at the root of the problem and stay with it long enough to solve the real issue. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then the next group are the dynamites and that is fours, sixes, and eights and fours, sixes, and eights, um, are the ones who are really connecting emotionally to what's happening. And we need that. Like we need that emotional connection. Our decisions go through our emotions. We actually don't think through them. We feel through them and then make a choice because we are feeling beings who think. So the dynamites are excellent at bringing that front and center. Um, and they do it in really different ways. And the eights in particular, like I'm not emotional. I was like, no, but you're intense. And the, and the, and the passion and the anger comes up right there. And so that's that dynamite intense reaction. And the, that group is kind of like the ones like, are you upset with me? Doesn't this like, they want to pull you in. Like, isn't, doesn't this make you mad or isn't this terror? You know, like they're really there intense with their emotions. And like I said, that emotional connection reminds us that something is important here and we need to pay attention mm-hmm. that those emotions are signals and important to process through, because if we ignore the process through, we're all going to have tr- struggles, struggles. And so what that group can do though, is they can use those emotions as almost like blinders, like a shield up in front of their face and they can't see the solutions. And so learning how to dial down that intensity is really important. Not, not ignore the emotions, not pretend they're not there, but just take some deep breaths and literally imagine a dial, like old school dial and pull it down. Okay what's the issue here? What are we talking about? So that's the dynamites, fours, sixes, and eights. And then the other style is the cool cucumbers. And the cool cucumbers are ones, threes, and fives. And they are the ones who are looking for what's the efficient solution out of here? What's the policy say? What are the facts? What's the data? And we need that. We have to have shared facts. (laughs) And policies and procedures help us make decisions because we've already pre-decided. So if we're, if we're arguing about something or there's a conflict, well, what did we already decide together that is the standard we're using? And ones, threes, and fives are really good at looking back into that and coming up with like action plans. This is the plan. Here are the steps. Here's what we're doing. What they can like run into <laughs> because they're so focused on that speed and efficiency and policy is that they can forget about all those emotions because they put those emotions over here in this little treasure box. And it's like, just, (laughs) it's all pretty and closed up and we're not using those right now. Like they're on the shelf. Um, And then they can kind of explode like Pandora's box in another place. And they don't, they're not helpful or other people are still emotionally in it and they've moved on and now there's more discord. And so if one's Ones, threes, and fives, those cool cucumbers can slow down a little bit and make sure that the emotions are at least acknowledged and that those really specific, fantastic plans that they've created solve the actual problem. Because sometimes it's like, oh, that's it. We're moving forward. And it didn't, it didn't scratch where the itch was. <laughs> and it was a great scratch, but in the wrong spot. And so if ones, threes, and fives can slow down, that conflict coping style can really provide some great action plans to the big picture and help everybody move forward. And so those three styles are all needed and they all bring some great strengths and a few liabilities (laughs) to conflict conversations. 
Wow. Interesting. I'm so glad that you were able to dive into that because there's so many different ways people solve problems and some people could get very angry. I mean, especially, you know, you think about like the eights when someone is handling it so calm, cool, and collect, and maybe not necessarily bringing the emotional aspect into it. I mean, I have a sister who's an eight and a really great friend who's a four and I've experienced it all with their passionate side of things. And so it's so comical just how the differences there are amongst friends, amongst colleagues, and just understanding that and working together through that for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so thinking about that, what advice would you give? We're going to start to wrap it up eventually here, but what advice would you give for numbers, people diving into the Enneagram to understand problem solving and the different various types? What, what, key takeaways and steps can they take now knowing this all for the future? Yeah. Well, I think, so those conflict coping styles are also how we deal with disappointment. So if you're thinking about how I solve a problem, (laughs) problems are often about disappointment. So kind of discovering about yourself, what is my natural tendency? Am I moving too fast to get to a solution? Am I moving away and avoiding it? Am I heading headlong running into it without, you know, just like guns a blazing and not paying attention? What are the things that I'm doing? And then pause. That's one of the biggest things I want people to do is pause and really take a breath. And sometimes that breath is to lower the intensity. Sometimes that breath is to get some perspective. Sometimes that breath is to be brave and stay in the moment. But the breath really does several things. It resets our body because our bodies are a part of wherever we go. You're not leaving them behind. And so it resets your body and your brain to actually have the oxygen it needs in the prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. to have self-regulation. And that that's an important piece. It also gives space to have a different response. So the fancy term is called the liminal space. And that's the space between when something happens and you make it, you have an action. And if it's really, really close together, it's a reaction. You know, somebody hits you and you're like, your elbow moves to the side, you know, like that's a reaction. Somebody hits you and you're like, wait a second, what's going on? And then you can say something different. That's a response. And the longer that time is between the issue and the response, the greater chances that response will be healthy and productive. So I think digging into those those conflict resolution styles or conflict coping styles is a great place to start in the Enneagram. If like you've never heard of the Enneagram before and you're listening to this, that's a great place to start because you don't have to choose your number. You can kind of recognize yourself in one of those three categories and make some choices. The other, if you are more into the Enneagram and you and you do know your number or you're still kind of digging, another really great place to start is what I call your leadership style. So your leadership style is along the lines of stances, and that's like the technical Enneagram terms. If you heard people talk about stances, that's what it is. But it's really about how you interact with people and how you orient to time and what the center of intelligence is that you don't deal with real well. And so if you can start digging into that work, that's the next thing to do. So if you know that you are a, let's see if I mix this the right order. 
how do I want to do this? If you are a one, two, or if you are a three, seven, or eight, I'm going to start with them. If you're a three, seven, or an eight, that's the independent stance. And that stance is doing their own thing. They got it. They're like, I'm doing my own thing over here. I'm looking to the future, but they're also not great at dealing with feelings. Mm-hmm. And so if that group can start to say, what am I feeling right now? And start to learn how to process that, that does amazing things for that group. Um, and among other tools, but I think that tool in and of itself, what am I feeling right now for three sevens and eights to pause and ask that question is really life-giving work. Mm. And then the next group is the dependent stance. And those are, so like the threes, sevens and nine, eights are like the natural leaders. They're front and the the ones twos and sixes that dependent stance they're like the connectors Mm -hmm. they're like inserting themselves into people and they're like connecting things and ideas and um they're wanting to fix and solve and reform and um be prepared and all of those things and so those connectors are really living in the moment. They're like right now. And so they're inserting themselves with people. They're connecting um, what's happening in the moment. And at the same time, they have repressed thinking. Now, every single one of you probably are like, what are you talking about? I'm thinking all the time. I know you're thinking all the time, but it doesn't always get you somewhere. And so as I'm saying this, if you've ever had that conversation with yourself about, well, maybe I should have done this differently. And, and if I, if, if he said that, well, maybe I should say that. And then what if they said this, this time, and then I've, I, I need to be prepared to say that. And like that Ferris wheel inside your mind, what's really kind of a hamster wheel that getting off of that hamster wheel by asking the question, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? What is my job here? Um, Can be a really powerful question for ones, twos, and sixes to ask. Mm -hmm. And and that helps them get out of the like hamster wheel of thinking and start to have some productive thinking that gets to a solution. And then the last group are the withdrawing stance. And those are four, fives, and nines. And four, fives, and nines I like to call the professors. They're like observing, they're watching, they're um, experiencing things in very different ways than the other stances. And their orientation to time is really tethered to the past. And so they're great at observing what's gone on and bringing that into what's happening now. And they're withdrawing from people. So they're just a little bit apart and kind of observing what's going on. And what they're repressing, this repressed center is doing, they are doing lots and lots of activity. So like, just like the ones, twos and sixes, they're like, we're thinking all the time. They're like, I'm doing stuff all the time, but it's not necessarily getting you anywhere. They're kind of professional tail chasers in a circle, like a dog chasing its tail. internally or externally, there's just this unproductive doing. And so if um, fours, fives, and nines can kind of just say one, two, three, go, and like start making some action, they start to create different types of um, environments and relationships and problem solving in their life. And the other thing that's really great for that group is routines. Just getting into habits and routines is good for everybody, I think, but there is something that is almost magical about a rhythm of life that reduces the decision fatigue for that group and helps them set themselves up for action in that way. So those leadership styles also have a great role in 
how you start to figure out relationships and work life and just your mental health in general, because you're, how am I leading my own life is really the first question before you can lead anybody else. So mm-hmm. that's a great place to dig into the Enneagram and start making some, some action choices. Awesome. I love all of those things. And it helps anyone listening that maybe has heard of the Enneagram or it's dove in a little bit to really dive in even more and think into relationships, conflict styles, problem solving styles, and the stances that way. And it'll take a step further and you will definitely see a lot of benefit in regards to your, you know, your work life, your relationships, um, and you'll have so much more awareness. So really great points, Jen. Thank you for sharing those. Um, now leading into the rapid fire questions here, I know that you're going to have, I'm so scared. (laughs) (laughs) They're super hard. So prepare. Okay. (laughs) The first one for you is who's the most influential woman in your life? (laughs) Past, (gasps) maybe have met them, maybe not up in the air for you. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I hate superlatives. I'm really bad at them. So I'm choosing two. Um, I'm going to say Brene Brown and Suzanne Stabile. Mm-hmm. I would say those two women have a, a huge influence on my work and my life and how I, so they're mentors from afar. Mm-hmm. Someday I'll get to meet them and give them hugs. I'm sorry. I'm hugging you. Um, if you're listening, Brene and Suzanne, um, <laughs> and just, they've had a huge influence on how I approach, um, people as whole people and my Enneagram work and organizational work. And so mm-hmm. Brene Brown has come up so often like mm. by far the highest like rated in regards to she's a gift yeah. she's a gift and I would say if I get to pick a third Madeline Langle <laughs> well sorry you can't pick a third Jen that's not okay. sorry I already <laughs> said it Madeline Langle <laughs> I'm kidding you're good you're good <laughs> oh man and then the next one I love this one so much what is your favorite food Oh man. See favorites. (laughs) I like, oh my goodness. I really like cannoli. Um, I love really good tortellini. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I like ice cream, um, and really good bread. Okay. So that's where I'm going. (laughs) That's what I got. Italian or something. I know, right? Exactly. Exactly. I also really like squash, like roasted butternut squash. I mean, that's just divine. Like a ginger, like you um, season up with Mm. some ginger into it. Oh my goodness. Like delicious. Oh yes. I'm right there with you, man. Like I'm going to come over for dinner. If you're going (laughs) to call that like carb heavy, but like I'm in. (laughs) Right. Oh, and then this will be really fun just because you know so much about the Enneagram and it's all tied to it. Are you a past, present or future thinker? Oh, future. I mean, even before into the Enneagram, that was not a hard question. This ENFP, um, yeah, all about what's what's next. <laughs> ENFJ. And so that that's funny you bring up ENFP. Like I feel like that is such a that's such a such mm-hmm. a thing right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What is your favorite travel destination or future dream destination? Oh, I really enjoy the beach, almost any beach. Um, but I also, I really love cities where there are multiple things to do. So I love European cities where there's history and, um, recreation and all that kind of stuff. So again, these are terrible questions for me because I can't do favorites. So I studied in Oxford in college. So I always have, I love Oxford. It's just a lovely, lovely town. And 
I would go back there in a heartbeat at any moment. Um, so those are some fun destinations. Man, I, I'm right there with you. I love a city where there's so much to do, so much food options and fish mm-hmm. want that or just like, you know, the people and the variety of that meeting new people. It's so fun. Um, and then the last question, are you a reader? And I'm assuming so. And if so, what are you reading right now? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Am I a reader? Y'all on the podcast can't see the book of 10, 10 books behind me and the three bookshelves in front of me. Um, so I am reading right now several books. So I'm in the middle of burnout, which is excellent. And it's, I can't think of the author's names, but they're two sisters who are both PhDs and it's about how you handle emotions. Um, I am rereading Dare to Lead because I'm by Brene Brown because I'm using it, um, some parts of it in my group coaching. I have a group leadership coaching that I'm doing. I just, I'm also rereading Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont, which is a writing book. I am reading a couple fiction books right now. I'm waiting for Band of Sisters to come out by Lauren Willig. I don't have an advanced copy yet. I just finished That Sounds Fun by Annie F. Downs. And I have, I also just finished The Poison Garden and the latest, um, it's not JK Rowling, it's her pen name, Robert Gal- Galbraith, um, called the Cormoran Strike series. So I just finished the last, most recent one of that. Wow. Wow. What I, a lot. I like to read. <laughs> it sounds like you might like a book or two. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> awesome. And then how can listeners connect with you, Jen? Yeah. Not the most on LinkedIn and Instagram. So I'm in both of those places um, most, most days, but I would love if you have, if you're a woman listening to this audience, if you're the random guy, I'm sorry, this isn't for you, (laughs) but for all the ladies out there, I have the women's leader circle is a free Facebook community that I have. And I would love for you to be a part. And we talk about the Enneagram. What does it mean to lead yourself? What does it mean to lead a team? And we have people in there that are just beginning a leadership journey. And we have people who are leading companies and businesses. So it's a really great space to learn and grow and connect. And we, I do Enneagram work once a week and um, we just have a really great time in there. And it's a place to, to find out more and connect and see what we can do to help our lives be really whole and confident and really powerful. Like I think women tend to feel like there's all this cultural pressure to play small and I don't think it does anybody any good. And so we need to cheer each other on and have real skills as well. So we do a lot of teaching in there. And um, so those are the best places to connect with me. Amazing. That'll be in the show notes as well. Wow. Thank you so much, Jen, for being on the show. This was a blast. Oh, yes. And I forgot. If you want at my website, it's jenwhitmer.com slash freebies. jenwhitmer.com slash freebies. That's where you can find all the stuff that I already talked about. But there's also some really great free downloads for you. So if you want to know more about your Enneagram type and you're like, I can't get into a book, I don't totally understand. I have a small download for you. That's like four pages. That's like a little, little primer for you. So you can go there and there's other stuff there too, like, like an apology for a state kid and some other things there for you. But jenwhitmer.com is where you can find the Facebook group and the download. And if you want to connect with me and set up a call, it's all there. right there for you. If you're like, where do I even start? Jenwhitmer.com. Check it out for sure. Wow. Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate it. And maybe we'll have to have another episode where it's diving into different aspects rather than like the complex side of things. So absolutely so much fun. fun. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) 